And my name is Pastor Derek Parts. I don't normally talk this much during the service, but I'm talking today. So <laughs> we say welcome to everybody. We're just glad that you're here um, and just thankful that you decided to join us. Um, we are Epiphany Church of Wilmington, where we are on the block, in the middle of it, for the glory of Christ. Y'all are supposed to finish that for me. Amen. So uh, we're just thankful to the Lord today uh, for his goodness and his mercy, his kindness towards us. Uh, so we've been in a series called Trust the Process, uh, and this series has been um, all about our daily sanctification. Uh, sanctification is just a fancy theological word uh, that means that we are being shaped into the image of Christ. Amen. So as we are being, as we have been justified, that means that God, he saved us and declared us righteous because of the work of his son. He is now sanctifying us. And that is him making us righteous to look more like Jesus. Uh, so we're learning all about that. Um, simply, we want to know what does it mean to grow in Christ? And this, this series has been walking us through that. So uh, last week we walked through uh, Trust and Believe. And this week, I've got a message for you as trust the patterns. Trust the patterns. Okay, look, we're going to try that again. So when, when the preacher announces what the title of the sermon is going to be, <laughs> you're supposed to go, yeah, right? Because, listen, I put a lot of work into that. Like, that was the hardest thing I did all week was to put a title on this thing. So uh, encourage me. <laughs> Amen. Encourage your pastor. Uh, when I announce the title of the sermon... Y'all get excited, okay? Even if you ain't excited, even if you think it's whack, you think it's dumb, please just get excited, amen? So trust the patterns. There we go. Look at that. We all want a day. I like it. So I'll be in Matthew chapter 6, um, verses 1 through 18, a bit of a longer passage. I don't normally preach this big chunk of passage, but I want us to walk. I'm going to walk you through this. Uh, so we could see all that Jesus has to say to us about the patterns of life that he desires for us to have. Uh, so the goal of any follower of Christ is to become more like him. That's simple enough, right? It's become more like him. And as we seek to become more like him, our entire lives are pointing us in that direction. My pastor says that everything disciples in other words, all the stuff that happens to you, all the things that you do, all the things that you think through, all of that disciples you or forms you into the image of Christ. Uh, however, sometimes we fail to see that we, part we we fail to see that we have to participate in what God is doing in our lives. And God has called us not to just sit around and expect God to just grow us. We have to put in some work towards God growing us. Um, it says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Siri's been listening today because my watch went off earlier while I said something. Siri just started talking. Mind your business, Siri. You all extra. Still going. <laughs> she don't know how to be quiet. Siri don't know how to be quiet. <laughs> so 
part of us, our understanding here is that as God is shaping us, right, um, he's calling us to join in the process. But more than that, he's calling us to trust the process. So the process of sanctification oftentimes doesn't look as quickly or as fast as we would like it to look. It doesn't look as clean as we would like it to look. But as we as we trust the process, we'll begin to see that God, one, knows what he's doing. Amen. Uh, he knows what he's doing so we can trust him. And he's been at this for a little while. So he got some experience with shaping people into the image of his son. And then lastly, he has our best interests in mind. And he knows that if he just sends us through some walls that we may not be ready to go through yet, we'll get weak and we'll fall and falter. So we're going to look at this in Matthew chapter 6. Um, I'm not going to read the, the whole thing up front uh, just because it's long. So I'll just read as I go along, okay? So y'all just track with me um, as I go through, and I'll check in with you as I'm there. So I want to submit this idea to you today, is that as we trust the process, we have to check our patterns. As we trust the process, we have to check our patterns. The first pattern that Jesus wants us to check here is our giving pattern. See, the Pharisees used giving to gain favor with God and attention from man, both of which are wrong motives, because no amount of giving can purchase your salvation. Ephesians 2 tells us that. And to live for the praise of men is a foolish thing to do, because the glory of man does not last. But it is the glory and praise of God that really counts. So here we see Jesus walking them through and he says to them, this is tucked inside of what is known as the Sermon on the Mount, which is Jesus's most famous sermon. But he tells them here, be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. Otherwise, you have no reward with your Father in heaven. So whenever you give to the poor, listen to this, don't sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be applauded by people. Truly, I tell you, they have their reward. But when you give to the poor, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you so jesus gives a caution here he he tells us to be careful or to pay attention to our practices of righteousness he's calling us to pay attention to the patterns of our life and how we put forward the things that we do that we believe cause us to be more righteous. So he's warning us here, don't be like the the, the Pharisees who go around with a trumpet in front of them from the, from the synagogues to the streets proclaiming what they've done in front of people so that they might be applauded by men. He's encouraging them, don't, don't do that stuff in order to be seen by other people. See, we, we love to be seen. 
We love to be seen for our good works. We love to be seen for the stuff that we do. We love to be noticed for what we do. Like, I just wish somebody would notice me. We do all that fancy stuff. Try to get noticed. We go out with our best clothes on. and We say, who are you trying to impress? They'd be like, no, myself. Like, you ain't trying to impress yourself. That's a lie. You're trying to impress people. <laughs> so we get out there and we go out and we, we love to be noticed. We love to be seen. But Jesus is saying to us, don't, don't practice righteousness in order to be seen by others. Why? Because otherwise you have no reward with your father in heaven. And, and, and to get a reward from your father in heaven is the best kind of reward. It's the best kind of reward that you can receive. Um, and we have to stop trading in the, the, the good reward of God and him being pleased with us in order to be applauded by men. See, oftentimes we'll, we'll trade that stuff right in. We'll go, look, I'll, look, God, I'll, you're, you're good. Uh, but listen, I need somebody to notice me. <laughs> I need them to notice that I did a good job on this report when I turned it in and it doesn't have any mistakes on it. Like I need them to know that this assignment that I completed was the best assignment that she's ever graded as a professor. I need her to know that right here and right now. Like we want to be noticed for what we do. That's not a bad thing, but it's not the right thing. So he's telling us, listen, you have your reward already. In other words, you have your payment for service when you go out there and you try to do stuff in front of people to be noticed. In other words, he's saying you, you've, got the, you've got your wages already. You've received your payment for what you've done, and that's you missing out because God has a better payment for you than you would ever receive from any job or any spouse or any other thing that you try to pursue after in order to be seen by people. So he says when you give, and let, let me deconstruct this for us for a second, because I want us to, you know, capture in our, in our understanding that this giving is not just about financial giving. See, we're, we're called to give of ourselves in every way, uh, because the, the whole of the Christian life is giving. See, Jesus gave up, God gave of his only son so that we might have eternal life. And then, and then Jesus would give up his life so that we might have life in him. And as a direct result, then we are then called as believers to give of our time, our talent, and our treasure before God. Y'all track it with me? So we're called to give. A, 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 a preacher, older preacher, somebody asked him, what was the last time you preached on giving? And he said, well, last week and the week before that and the week before that. And yeah, the week before that. And oh yeah, the week before that. And yeah, probably around this time last year, I preached on giving to. And the reporter said, well, you sure talk a lot about money. And he said, well, none of those sermons were about money, but they were about giving. Because we are called as believers in Christ to give of ourselves. Because Christ gave up of himself. Amen? So let's look at this. Jesus here, he's saying, he says, when you give so whenever you give to the poor, don't sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be applauded by people. Here, the, the, the sinister nature of this is that our, our, we're so sinful that, and, our, and our nature is so sinful uh, and, and so subtle that we can even defile a good thing like giving to the poor. Like, well, we can, we can mess that up. 
because we're so sinful we we can we can mess up giving to the poor because we walk around and say oh look what i've done for for these people look i i i stopped on the on the street corner and the guy was asking for money and i gave it to him i i gave him a 20 instead of a one dollar bill look how special i am we look around and we and we talk about the things that we've done for other people. Like I, there's this dude on YouTube who goes around and he's filming himself doing good deeds for people. And it's like, all right, bro, like <laughs> you got it. Like you win, like you win, you won. So like you received a reward already. And he's really, what he's doing is he's profiting off of the poverty of people as he's walking around helping them because when his as his youtube uh subscriptions get up he's getting paid so we can even defile a good thing like giving to the poor but he says here don't go about sounding a trumpet like those hypocrites do the word hypocrite it refers to an actor someone who wears a mask so we all we all you everyone in this in here has called somebody a hypocrite we've all done it Every one of us in here has been hypocritical before, if we're honest, because we've been pretentious and because we've we've acted a part that we aren't necessarily uh, exist to be. Because especially in our culture, in our day and age, we love to play the hypocrite. We love to present ourselves as something that we are not in this social media age. We love to hop online and show everybody our happy, thriving family with us all smiling when we don't really show the picture of us fighting in the car before we took that picture. We don't really show ourselves and present ourselves the way that we truly are. So we post the picture of us with the filter on, with the lips poked out, when all the while we were just struggling with anxiety and depression right before we took that picture. So we present this picture to the world that we aren't really because we love to be seen by people in order to be applauded. But Jesus says, don't do that. <laughs> don't do that. Don't do that in your giving. Don't do that in the giving of your time, your talent, and your treasure. Because what you do is, is that you, you, you align yourself to be, watch this, a glory snatcher from God. Because what, what this word here suggests for us when he says that you do it to be applauded by men, what he's really saying to us here is that you're doing it in order to glorify yourself. You're doing it in order to honor yourself and to magnify your good deeds. So we cannot be, we cannot place ourselves in a position where we are trying to snatch glory away from God. See, the reason why your family is thriving as much as it is, is because of Jesus. The reason why that anxiety that gripped you is now falling off of you is because of Jesus. The reason why that doubt that was on you is falling away is because of Jesus. We can't put ourselves up as if we are the source and the reason for those things happening to us because we don't deserve any glory for it only god deserves the glory for it so he says don't 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 present yourself out there don't be no hypocrite don't don't walk around wearing a mask because you you want to be applauded by people you want to esteem yourself as glorious but he says don't don't do that kind of stuff because i truly i tell you this he says you have your reward but when you give to the poor don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. So what Jesus is instructing us to do here, we all, we've all heard that phrase before. Don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. And we take that as a, as a, as a phrase that tells people to mind their business, right? Like, man, I ain't let my left hand know what my right hand is doing. In other words, you're like, hey, stay in your own lane. Don't worry about what I'm doing over here. You worry about what you're doing. 
That's how we use that. But it, it, it has a little more nuance here when you look at the original, original language because this, this, this left hand refers to something that is the second best. So Jesus is saying, don't let your second best become intimate with your, because the right hand is, 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 a, is a metaphor for the place of honor or authority. So Jesus is saying, don't allow your second best to become intimate and take over what is your best. So what we do is, here's what I mean, what we do is, is that we trade in the praise of God for the praise of men. See, what we do is, is we substitute the, the, the praise and the acceptance and the acknowledgement of God for some praise and acceptance of people who will turn their back on you in one second once you make a mistake. See, people will turn their backs on you the second that you make a mistake. And a matter of fact, even while you're doing good, they're plotting on you the whole time. They're looking at the things that you have and say, how do they get that? I should have that. How they get that position? I should be the one in that position. How they end up with him? I should be with him, somebody like him. How they end up getting that thing? I should have that kind of thing. So the whole time we're, we're, we're trading in the acceptance of God and the, and the pleasure from God and trading that in for some fleeting acceptance from men that won't last. I said, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Put yourself in a position where you can have acceptance from God over the acceptance of men. Here's how you do that. He tells us that. He says, verse 4, so that your giving may be in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. See, this word here for, for secret uh, it's not like doing the little, you know, the little hood pass off. You know, you, you some, somebody some money, you hand them to it like that. You're like, what's up, bro? So nobody else sees it. <laughs> That's not what Jesus is talking about here. What Jesus is referring to here is the inward concealed part of you. Because this word suggests that, that we should give secretly or inwardly. So that's what what Paul goes on to tell us. He says, everyone is to give as he has decided in his own heart. That's the inward part of that. And we're to give as we've decided in our own heart, generously, sacrificially, proportionately, and, and, and according to how God has called us to give. So when we give in secret, what we do is we can't be out here all in these streets like those Pharisees were, blowing a trumpet in front of them saying, hey, look at me, look how I'm giving. Oftentimes what we do is, is that we do the same thing when it comes to giving of our talents. We don't truly want to give our talent to God. We want people to see that I can sing. When we truly give of our talents, we don't want people, we don't want God to, to, to receive glory from it. What we want to do is we want to receive the praise and adoration of people because we have a talent. And the reality is, is that you, you wouldn't have that talent that you had if it wasn't for God. The reason is, the, the, the reality is, is that you wouldn't have that treasure that you have stored up if it wasn't for Jesus. So he's calling us to, 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 to do in secret what, 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 what others are doing publicly. He's calling us to, 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 to go inward with, with, with our time, our talent, and our trust. See, there are some things that you have to give up of and that you have to wrestle with inwardly as you are giving. See, there are some Sundays when I come here, and listen, there are a, a hundred things that I need to do. 
And there are a hundred things that I need to accomplish and get get done. But as I come in here, I make an inward decision to say that, God, I'm going to give this time to you and I'm going to devote it to you because you deserve this. This little two hours that I can set aside to come together with other believers to worship you and to give your name praise. When you've given me all the rest of the week to do whatever I want to do, I can't take a few minutes and a, a couple hours to come and worship you and sing praises to you. We're robbing God of what's due to him so as we as we approach that we've got to make some inward decisions and decide secretly about what we're going to do you can't tell everybody won't understand the reason that you do the things that you do everybody won't understand why you here every sunday when they are going to the beach and doing all the stuff that they want to do everybody won't understand why you're giving a percentage of your income when you're struggling in the first place come on i know why pastor I got some broke millennials. <laughs> Y'all ain't got no money. <laughs> Eating ramen noodles and fish sticks and all kinds of stuff. High blood pressure just everywhere. <laughs> but listen, God is calling us to give, and we can't explain that to everyone. We, everybody can't understand our reason and our rationale for doing that, but we know that, listen, I don't know about what you're talking about, and yes, I get it, but God does something through my giving. See, God does something through my commitment to devote my time, my talent, and my treasure to him that I can't explain to you. See, he seems to maximize my time when I give him my time. See, he seems to increase my talent when I, when I give my talent to him. He, he, he seems to increase, increase my finances when I make a decision to, to give of my finances to him first instead of going and paying Sally Mae and doing all those other things. I give my, my gift to him first. Now pay Sally Mae, please, because they're going to come and get you. <laughs> And what I mean get you, I mean they're going to come and garnish your check if you don't pay them. <laughs> but what I'm saying to you is, is that we have to have a commitment to, to be givers first. See, and, 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 and that's why I don't, I, I don't argue too much for uh, what percentage you give, although I believe you should give a certain percentage. But I, I, I'm going to argue for you giving first to God out of the fruit that he has given to you so that you it becomes a model and a standard by which you give everything else to God. So when you give to him first, when you set aside your giving to him first, God honors that and says, because you've made a commitment to set aside something for me, uh, there's some things that I will do. And, and, and Malachi just says, put him to the test. See what he'll do. And I didn't just say because if you tithe, you're gonna be rich. Don't hear me. Don't hear that. In fact, if you heard that, take it out your ear and throw it away. That's not the truth. But what God does with your commitment to give to Him first, you can't trade that. God, you you begin to look around and say, "Well, I'm good. I'm, we all right. You know, I don't know how we made it, but we made it. We ate every day." <laughs> You know, it may not have been um, a filet mignon and lobster, but listen, uh, we had some monkfish. And it kind of tastes like uh, lobster. <laughs> you know, like we can make, we can, you can season that old, um, that old strip steak up and make it taste like a filet. Like you, you get creative. Shoot, you can season that chicken, make it taste a little better. But so God does something with our, our willingness to give 
to him. Y'all tracking with me? Y'all got that? Let me move on to the next pattern. Our praying pattern. Ooh. I'll give y'all a second to get ready for that one because I know, I know, I know. The dirty secret of the church is that we don't pray. My pastor says that all the time. As someone reminded me very carefully (laughs) that he does. We don't pray. But prayer is critical in our ability to grow into the people that God is calling us to be. I'll say that again. Prayer is critical in our ability to grow into the people that God is calling us to be. As we learn the value of private, personal prayer time, it will change what we do in our public lives. See, when we develop a private prayer life, our public life starts to look different. See, when we, when we develop a private, personal prayer life with God, as we get out in the public, things begin to look different in our lives. People start to wonder, man, he's going through some difficulty on his job, but he doesn't seem to be discouraged by it. That's because he's developed a private, personal prayer life with Jesus, which transforms his public life. And see, some of us, we love to pray in public And we ain't prayed all week in private. We be walking around, Father God, God who sits high and looks low, the one who sits in the heavens and crafted the stars. We be doing all this extra stuff. And you ain't talked to God all week. You ain't said boo to him. Not a word. Let me retract that. All week you have been praying, but you've been praying to yourself because you believe that you're sovereign over your own life. That's why you don't pray. You, 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 be, you believe that you are in control of the, of the features of your life. That's why you don't pray. You believe that, you, that you've got it all under control and you don't need God. You only need him for the stuff that you want him for. Uh, but for the rest of the stuff, I'll just go ahead and handle that stuff myself. So I'm not even going to pray. Let me encourage you and remind you that you need to be in prayer because when difficulty comes, you're going to find it hard to pray. So you need to have something stored up when you pray because difficulty is going to come and it's going to smack you to your knees and you're not going to be able to do anything but cry and weep. But you've got to have something stored up in heaven through prayer because we have to be shaped by prayer. Prayer should shape us. And the way that it shapes us is if we make the practice intentional. So I don't, listen, I ain't all preaching today. But I got some practical stuff for you that I want you to take hold of. We have to stop looking at prayer like it's too difficult. We, we, we often say we don't pray because I don't know what to say. We often say, I don't know how to pray because I can't get up at 5 a.m. Like, it's just too much. What? I'm, who said you had to do that? Who said that that's what prayer was? 
Like, you looking at other people because they get up and they wake up at 5 a.m. and they pray and they have their devotions and their their time with God every morning. Like, good. I'm not arguing against that. I think that's necessary and, and good to do. But that, that doesn't necessarily mean that that's what prayer has to look like. The, the argument that I'm making to you is that we have to spend time in prayer however we can spend time in prayer. See, prayer is, is like work. But it's not unlike any other kind of work. See, we may not feel like working at our job, but once we get there and get in the rhythm of doing the stuff that we do, the clock just ticks by. And by the, by the time you know it, it's time to go home. And you get up and you do it again. More than that, we don't pray because we, we, we don't feel like, we don't feel like work. When we don't feel like going to work, what we do? We look at our bank account and some of us realize, oh, I can't afford to not go to work. <laughs> like you look at your, your, your checking and your savings and you realize that huh, I better get myself up and get to this job. I may not feel like it, but I know I better go. And I'll submit to you that there are some deposits that God wants to make in your life through prayer that if you don't, if you don't tap into the source of that, that those deposits won't be made because you're not praying. So we ought to take prayer as seriously as we take getting up and going to work so that we can have a check at the end of the week. We, we, we should get up and pray so that we can have a connection at the end of the week. So listen, we may not feel like going and lifting weights. Man, I feel like getting up and running. All the stuff that we do to, to, to exercise our, our, our bodies and things like that. But we've got to build up our spiritual muscles as well. And the way that we build up our spiritual muscles is through praying. See, your muscles, just like you need to stretch. And if you're old like me, you need to stretch a lot. <laughs> but you need to get out there and stretch. Here's how you stretch in prayer. Go online and Google this thing called the, the Book of Common Prayer. There are prayers that other people have written, right? And you go ahead and you start out by reading one of those prayers. That'll lube up your muscles to get you ready to pray. And you're like, oh, you're going to pray somebody else's prayer somebody else wrote. You sing songs other people sung. You ain't wrote none of these songs that we sung in here. But you were singing them. Why can't you pray other prayers that people pray? That people pray, wrote, wrote. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Get yourself loop, you know, get yourself limber, stretch, get your book, book of common prayer or go online and get some prayers. Like y'all always on your phone anyway, just go and get, you know, prayers, prayers to pray, prayers for, you know, whatever you're going through. And once you get in it, the blood flow of intercession begins to flow through you and you feel like praying. <laughs> like we, we, we had prayer here the other, other day and I, I dismissed the prayer. I dismissed the prayer time because we had one hour. I dismissed the prayer time, and, and people just kept on praying. 
They didn't want to get up from praying. They just kept right on praying because because the, the blood flow had got going. They got limber and the prayer got good to them. And they just wanted to continue to connect with God and feel better because, you know, after you exercise, you feel better. And you wonder, why was I complaining and whining about going to the gym? I feel so good right now. It's the same thing with prayer. Once you get praying, you start to feel better. You start to feel energized. You start to feel like you can make it through life's trials and difficulties because you've built up something through prayer. But here's what we do. We pray to be seen by people. We be all out here in these streets. He says, you be in the synagogues and on the street corners. You be in these streets. (laughs) Be out here. Trying to be seen by people. This word here for seen. Is a word that means to shine. See, what we do when we pray is we pray in order to get shine for ourselves. So if your prayers only bring you shine, then you're praying the wrong kind of prayers. Here's what I mean. If your prayers only benefit you and your circumstances, then you're praying the wrong types of prayers. If your prayers are only directed towards making your situation better on your job, then you are praying the wrong type of prayers. If your prayers are only geared towards allowing your spouse to change their life instead of you changing up some stuff in your life in order to fit into the relationship better, then you're praying the wrong type of prayers. You're praying to get shine. And watch this God ain't giving out no shine to nobody else he wants him shine for himself so if your prayers don't bring glory and shine to the name of God you're praying the wrong type of prayers God don't answer those prayers like that the prayers that he answers are prayers that are according to his will you know what his will is for your life it's for you to be transformed into the image of his son So instead of praying for your boss to get off your back, guess what? Pray that you will be the kind of person who can endure and love their neighbor. Instead of praying for your spouse to to, to stop getting on your nerves all the time, guess what? Pray that you will be the type of spouse who will love their spouse like Christ loved the church. Be Instead of praying for the kinds of things and praying that God would give you stuff, pray that you would be able to do some more stuff for God. Because the important thing about prayer is not simply getting an answer, but being the kind of person whom God can trust with an answer. See, God can't trust some of us with the answer. So we be praying and praying and asking God for stuff, and then God answer us, and then we start doubting him. See, I knew you weren't good. How could you let this happen? We start praying and praying, and then God moves on the situation, and we look at God and cast versions on him as if he's done something outside of his will that he doesn't know what he's doing. So are you the type of person that God can trust with an answer? You better figure it out. Because if you're trying to give your shine, if, if, if your prayers are only trying to get you shine, you're missing out on it. So that's why he says, when you pray. Go into your private room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret. See, what I love about this is this word for private room is not just a closed room or a secret room. 
this word refers to a storage chamber or a storeroom or a dispensary. See, your prayer closet is a storage chamber to protect you in the times of famine and drought. See, when you get in your prayer closet, when you get in your private room with God, guess what? What you go to is you go to the storage chamber by which you have protection and you have and you have sustenance in the midst of drought and famine. Because when difficulty comes, I've already said this to you, but when difficulty comes and when famine, spiritual famine and drought come into your life, you need to have a storage room that you're able to go to. See, your prayer closet is the storeroom where you get your provision from. See, oftentimes we're looking around wondering how God is going to provide. And guess what he says? He says, listen, one, I've already provided every spiritual blessing that you might need in heaven. Ephesians 1 tells us that. He's provided us with everything. We're chosen in him. We're accepted in him. We have an inheritance in him. We have been, we have been predestined in him. All of those things that he says that we have in him are already, already ascribed to us. All we have to do is go ahead and access it through prayer. So if you need peace, guess what you got to do? Go to the storeroom and get you some peace. If you need some joy, guess what you got to do? You got to go to the storeroom and get you some joy. If if, if you need some sanity, guess what you got to do? You got to go to the storeroom and get you some sanity. And that storeroom is your prayer closet. That's where it is. And your prayer closet is a place where God will dispense his spirit to you. See, we need to be empowered by the Holy Spirit through prayer. See, the the reason why the church doesn't have the power that it should have and the reason why the culture is rising up against the things of God at every turn and every place is because we don't have any power because we don't pray. See, the church has no power because the people of God do not pray. See, there was a time when we used to get down on our knees and cry out to God because of the things happening in the world. And now all we do is get on Facebook and complain about the stuff that is happening in our world. See, we used to be a time when we would get down and cry out to God before and cry out before him for the stuff that's happening. And now all we do is get around our friends and complain about the stuff that we don't like. But what God is saying to us is this, is that if we're going to see transformation and change happen in the world, then we've got to go to the dispensary where he dispenses his spirit to us and the power that we need in order to see change and transformation happen in our world. So he says, listen, don't don't be like those Pharisees and just be babbling, making meaningless uh, repetition about stuff. But instead, go to your father in secret, and he will reward you openly. Because those Gentiles, they do them being repetitions because they imagine that they'll be heard for their many words. There was a prayer in the 6th century known as the Jesus Prayer. And it went like this. I want you all to repeat after me. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. That was one of the most common prayers in the 6th century. They prayed that prayer. We feel like we got to have these long, drawn-out, full of repetition, Father God, and all this stuff like that. People, <laughs> I know some people pray and they say Father God a lot. 
I know some people who pray and they repeat the same phrases over and over again. Not that repetition is bad because Jesus repeated things when he prayed. But if your if your repetition is solely that you can you can make it to the hour mark, it don't matter. <laughs> like you just did that so you could get to an hour so you could say I prayed an hour. God's like, okay, you might have prayed an hour, but you didn't talk to me. So we we, we can't just be vain repetition. Here's the beauty. Watch this. The scripture is full of promises from God. He says, don't be like them because your father in heaven knows the things you need before you even ask him. Isn't that good? God knows what you need even before you ask him. See, as a parent, you'll begin to learn the cries of your children. Like, you'll know as they're little, like, you're like, oh, that's a diaper change cry. Like, yeah, I know that one. They need a diaper change. So you go to them and you change their diaper. Like, oh, that's, that's a, a, she need a burp cry. I know that one. I'm pick her up. Do all that stuff, right? That's what you do when you burp them. If you didn't know that, that's how you do it. You can bump them there too. When they bottom and unless the gas come out. I'm trying to help y'all. Y'all get some practical tips. <laughs> so you begin to learn the cries of your children. And when they get older, like when my son started to get older, he'd be outside playing by himself, and I'd hear him cry, and I'd go, mm, that's just a whine. He just whining. See, God knows the difference between our whining and our cries. See, there are times when we just whining, and God's like, they'll get over it. They'll be all right. There are other times when he'd be out there playing, and he would fall, and I'd be like, oh, that's a real cry. I better go see about it. But the difference between me and God is, is that God already knows what he needed before he went out there to see. I had to go out there to see to figure out what he needed because God's a better father than I am and he knows what you need. So when you cry out to him, he already knows what you need and he's ready to meet your need and provide for you because he's a good, good father. Like we sing about. Let me go to the last one. Y'all got that? We need to check our prayer pattern. So develop a a rhythm of prayer in which you're praying. Take five minutes. Take five minutes to pray every day. Five minutes. You pick at your toes for ten minutes a day. You can pray for five minutes. Y'all be picking your toes. I know y'all do. Pray for five minutes. This is what Siri started talking to me. Set a timer. Set a timer for five minutes. Siri be creeping. She'd be listening in. Big brother and all that. Quiet. (laughs) Set a timer for five minutes and just pray for that five minutes. If you don't know what to pray, like I said earlier, get you a little thing off of the Internet and pray that prayer. It's that simple. Talk to God. Spend some time with him, okay? You ready for this next pattern? We have to check our fasting pattern. We don't fast. And I'm not beating up on you because we don't fast because we don't know how to fast. But we don't think about fasting the way that we should. See, fasting is a practice of denying the body food with the purpose of pressing into God. See, as a discipline, 
Fasting is something people often avoid for various reasons, but it has been present in the church from the very beginning. Tony Jones is a historian. He writes the history in a history of fasting. He says in the early church, the apostles were known to fast regularly by the time of AD 60. Christians were observing every Wednesday and Friday as fast days. So two times a week they were fasting, turning their plate down, saying, I'm not going to eat so that I can press into God. They were doing that two times a week. Just as Yom Kippur or the Day of Atonement was an annual fast of repentance for the Jews, Christians observed a repentance fast in the days leading to Easter. Although it started out as two days, by the 4th century, it had expanded into 40 days, known as Lent. And y'all all be giving up stuff for Lent. I'll be giving up sugar for Lent. Lying. You ain't gave up no sugar. You just pretending. I'm giving up TV for Lent. Yet you be watching all your shows on your phone. <laughs> like, that's not, because you're not watching the big screen. Like, you, come on. They be like, oh, I'm only drinking water for Lent. Like, you ain't just drinking water. Like, you lying. Like, you be drinking other stuff. I legit had a dude tell me one time. He said, he told me he was only drinking water for Lent. <laughs> and then I saw him drinking some Kool-Aid. <laughs> and the joker said, he said, well, it's mostly water. <laughs> I'm like, you put five packets of Kool-Aid in there, all different flavors, uh, purple, red, and blue. Those are the flavors, purple, red, and blue, and orange. The, the, the other flavors, I don't know what y'all talking about, is red and purple and blue. So he put like five packets in there and then a half a bag of sugar. Like, bro, that's that's not water no more. Like, you done changed the composition of that. And, and altered its, 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 its molecules. <laughs> so what I want us to capture, though, is this. Is that because in, in the East, they, they did more fast like for Advent and for the Feast of the Apostles in June and, and for the Feast of, of the Virgin Mary in August. And they did so many fasts because fasting was a critical component of their spiritual development. And fasting is, is almost a lost art for Christians. We, we don't do that anymore, but it's, it's a discipline that we have to practice in order to, to continue to develop and grow in Christ. So he says, whenever you fast, don't be gloomy like the hypocrites. For they make their faces all unattractive. So that their fasting is obvious to people. Now, some of y'all look like y'all about to die anyway when you don't eat. Just be looking miserable because you ain't had nothing to eat. <laughs> and then some of you look like you're going to kill somebody <laughs> because you haven't had nothing to eat. Just angry, like for no reason. But Jesus is saying, don't do that when you fast. When you fast, put on a good face. 
Don't be out here with that unattractive face or disfiguring your face. I'm just, I'm fasting before the Lord today and I just, I'm just, you know, I'm trying to develop my spiritual discipline. Like, fix your face. Like, stop, cut it out. (laughs) Trying to let everybody know you fasting. Like you're more spiritual than everybody because you ain't ate six breakfasts. You haven't eaten since breakfast. Like, it's 10 o'clock. Sit down. (laughs) What's wrong with you? You're acting all pious. Like, oh, I've just fasted today and I'm just, you know, I'm trying to be closer to Jesus now. And it's like, no, you're not. Like, you you just ain't had no money to get enough from McDonald's this morning when you rolled through. Like, that's all. So Jesus says, he says, don't make yourself unattractive because what you're trying to do is you're trying to bring light to yourself when you do that. You're trying to bring shine to yourself. So what Jesus is instructing us to do with fasting here is he's telling us, don't make it obvious to others, but do it in secret. Here's how you don't make it obvious. Verse 17, he says, when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face. Jesus, that's the most practical thing Jesus ever said. Wash your face. Look at me. Some of y'all be getting up when you fast. <laughs> and you don't even wash your face. You let the little crust from your mouth just still be there. You'd be like, I'm just fasting today. And I just, you know, I'm just trying to connect with Jesus. <laughs> and you got crust on your mouth. And it's like, wash your face. Like, what are you doing? Wash your face. Just crust all on your face. Trying to be spiritual. That ain't spiritual. That's stank. <laughs> Go and wash your face, please. So we have to we have to practice this because Jesus says if we if we try to make it obvious and don't put it in secret then we have our reward already. We want God to reward us. We don't want men to reward us. We need God to reward us. I'll say that again. We don't need man or people to reward us. We need the reward of God. Because God's rewards, guess what? They do not tarnish. They do not fade away. The rewards of God will last until eternity. See, the gifts that you have and the rewards that you have from God, they'll carry you through to eternity. The praise and reward of men won't last you until tomorrow. You'll wake up tomorrow figuring out, how can I get people to like me again? How can I get a, a, another 200 likes on my post? How, how, can I, how can I get this raise by proving to my boss that, I, that I'm worthy of this raise? But God has given you the ultimate raise that you could ever receive and that he raised you up from the, from, the, from the grips of sin and death and he resurrected you into new life. So if you need a raise, guess what? Look to the raise that God has given you. And I got to close because I'm out of time. But I'm going to close with this. When a son, son left for his freshman year at Duke University, he should have went to North Carolina instead. Where my son at? He ain't. There you go. That was a jab at him. His parents, when he left, his parents gave him a Bible, assuring him that it would be a great help to him. And so later... As he began sending letters to his parents, 
he started asking them for money. He said, Mom, Dad, I need some money. I'm out here. I'm broke. He was like Sinbad. He wrote his dad a letter and said, no money, no fun, your son. <laughs> and his dad wrote him back, too bad, so sad, your dad. <laughs> but he was writing letters to his parents, telling them he needed money. And they would write him back and say, hey, read your Bible and read Matthew chapter 6, verse 19 through 26. And he would write back and say, Mom, Dad, I need some money. So he would write back to him and said, Okay, read Genesis chapter 3, verse 16. He wrote them again and said, Mom, Dad, I'm desperate. I need some money. What did he say? Go ahead and read Philippians 4, 12 through 16. Go ahead and read that. So when he got back home for his semester break, He said to his parents, how come you guys never sent me any money? And he responded, well, did you read your Bible? And he said, yes, 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 I read my Bible, I read it. He said, you didn't read your Bible. Because if you read it, you would have realized that we took 10s and 20s and 50s inside of your Bible. And if you had been reading it, you wouldn't have needed any money. But I want to submit this to you, that there is a greater reward. There is a greater reward for you in the pages of the scripture. That God reveals himself to us in the scriptures. He reveals himself to us in his word. And when we dive into the pages of scripture, it reveals a pattern of abundant living to us. When we study the scripture, it reveals the truth of God to us. When we pray, it reveals the heart of God to us. When we fast, it reveals the sacrifice of God to us. And when we give, it reveals the hand of God to us. Church, Epiphany, we've got to dive in deep into these spiritual disciplines so that we can trust those patterns and grow in Christ. You need a a regular pattern of reading your Bible. Read five verses a day. Start there. Work your way up to a chapter. Siri. Work your way up. Work your way up to reading uh, and, and praying for an hour. Don't start there. If you try to start there, you'll never make it there. Start with five minutes. You can do it for five minutes. It's practical. You can read for five minutes. It's practical. Pick a day to fast. Start out by fasting for two hours. Say, for these two hours when I would normally eat lunch, I'm not going to eat lunch, but I'm going to pray and read my Bible. Just be intentional about it so that God will continue to grow us and shape us into the image of his son. And he uses these things to do it. This is tucked inside of the greatest sermon that was ever preached. And Jesus calls us to give. He calls us to pray. And he calls us to fast. 
won't we love him by obeying his commandments? That's what he says. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. And this book is filled with the commandments of Jesus. We should follow them. And we'll grow in him. Maybe you're here today and you don't understand what I'm talking about. You've been on the outskirts for a little bit and trying to figure out who is this Jesus that they're talking about. Who is this Savior that they're referring to that will give them abundant life. But I want to tell you today about the greatest story that's ever been told. And that God, because of his holiness, we were separate from him because of our sin. And so God, before the foundations of the world, devised a plan for us to be in relationship with him again. Because God is perfect and holy and just, it would take a perfect Savior to bring us back into relationship. So he would send his son who would live a perfect life and be charged with crimes that he didn't commit and take those sins on his back as he was whipped and beaten and crucified on the cross. They put nails in his wrists nails in his feet, and hung him on a cross, which was a a tool by the Romans that they had perfected for execution. But yet Jesus got there and said to his father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And he gave up his life for us. The scripture tells us that he was in 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 the body of a tomb for three days. But after three days, he got up And he rose from the grave, conquering sin and death for us. So that we no longer have to be bound to sin. That's good news. God has done something significant for us and that he saved us from our sins. And after that, he says that you can have new life in me. All you have to do is believe and confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord. Is there one today who says, I, I'm not sure, but I, I want to begin to have the conversation about what it means to walk with Jesus in that way. I'd love to have conversations with you. Everyone here would love to talk with you about what that means. Every head bowed, every eye closed as we pray. Father, bless us, your people. God, I pray that we might respond to the good news of Jesus. That Jesus came to die for our sins and in our place. And that in him we have eternal life that does not fade. But it is life and life life more abundantly. Because God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Scripture says that whoever would believe in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. Father, thank you for everlasting life and for all that you've done for us, both now and forever. In Christ's name I pray. Amen.